in my home group, Phil's, and then a couple others, we heard several awesome stories about contentment and about uh, just the waiting rooms of life, things that people are dealing with, things that people are going through right now. Um, as far as as far as the waiting rooms of life, and I'll talk about what that is here in just a second. If you weren't here, but just kind of want to put this out there for you to be thinking about. Uh, we heard so many cool stories that we decided to change up the series a little bit. I talked about it last week. I will this morning and then next week. And then the last week of this series, of this four week series, we're going to do something different. We're going to Lord willing, and there's participation. I should put that out there. Uh, <laughs> We're going to take this time, this sermon time, and we're actually going to hear stories from you. We had some awesome stories. I had somebody come up after the last service and say, i I, I got to share my story. She has a powerful story she's going to be sharing. And, and, and I'm not asking you to get up here and, and you know share with a microphone. We'll video it. We're going to edit it. Uh, and make it about the length of the sermon. It's gonna. I'll, I'll introduce it that day. But then that's going to be most of the sermon. It's hearing stories of your waiting room experiences and how God. If you're in the waiting room, the things that you've been taught. If you're out of the waiting room, what God used and how He's used the waiting rooms of life in your in your life, the waiting room of your life in, in your life. How He's used it to bring glory and fame to His name. And so. Um, we obviously, we have about 25 minutes to fill up, so the more the better. If that's something you uh, feel like God may be leading you to, I've already given your home group leaders a heads up on that. So if they hear something, they're going to be asking, and they believe the Lord's leading. There's no pressure, honestly. I kind of kid around a little bit, but there's no pressure. If God's not leading you, see, He hasn't offered the grace to share that story right now. By all means, don't do that. But if it's a story that you feel that other people may be able to be ministered by, and you have the grace, the freedom to share that, maybe you will even after this sermon. We'll talk about that a little bit in the sermon. Um, then please uh, talk to your home group leader, talk to Phil or I, send us an email, and we'll set up a time to video that and edit it down. We'll have five, six, seven uh, uh, testimonies in two weeks from today, October 19th. If you don't want to miss that Sunday, it's going to be powerful, powerful uh, morning. When we hear about people's waiting rooms of life. What do, what do I mean by waiting room? We introduced it last week. And basically what we mean is this. All of us have a plan for our life. We all have desires. We all, all have hopes. We all have dreams, expectations. But what happens when life is not going according to plan? And there's no way forward and there's no way out. Uh, for instance, you, you thought by now you would be married. And for whatever reason, God has not seen fit to allow that to happen. Or maybe you thought you would still be married. And, and in no fault of your own, you're no longer married. Maybe you thought, you know what? I, I said I do. And I thought it was going to be fun. I thought it was going to be good. I thought it was going to be joyous. And your marriage has been anything but. And, and you feel like God... Where are you? What are you doing? I feel like I'm stuck. I'm just waiting for you to respond. I'm waiting for you to answer my prayer. I feel like I'm stuck. There's no way forward and there's no way out. God, where are you? And do you even care anymore? Maybe it's a job for you or a lack of a job. and You've been pounding the pavement. You've been on the internet looking for job openings and for whatever reason... Nothing's become available. Nothing's been offered to you at this point. Maybe it's health. 
Maybe it's relationships. I don't know what it is. But all of us can, can agree that at some point in our time, in our life, at some point in our life, we felt like we were in the waiting room of life. There was, God just seemed silent. And there was no way forward and there was no way out of the circumstance that you felt like you were stuck in. And you're just, God, where is your grace right now? I, I want to, just even if it's a no, I want to feel your grace. I want to know your grace. I want to know that you're at work. As a, growing up in, in, in a pastor's home and then in ministry for about 10 years myself, I've come across people who have been stuck in the waiting rooms of life. They have, they have faced very extreme, um, extremely tough situations. Very difficult circumstances uh, with health, with marriage, with, with kids, with jobs. They're just various people that have faced extremely difficult circumstances, extremely difficult situations, many times at no fault of their own. And, and as I've talked to these, uh, these, these people that are, are in these circumstances, in these situations, I've heard several different times an interesting, uh, not confession, but a diff- an interesting thing that they've said. I've talked to people, they, they say, yeah, it, it, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a tough marriage. I mean, I've been treated very, very badly. I'm in a, just a tough marriage. And, and I'll say... That, you know, tell me a little bit about it. And they'll say, yeah, it's a tough marriage. But here's the thing. I have come to the place where I can view my marriage, I can view my spouse even, as a gift from God. <clears throat> I know God only gives good gifts. And, and I know He's a pain in the neck. But I have come to the place that I can even view my spouse as a gift, a good gift, from my Heavenly Father. I'll never forget when this became personal for me. Like I said, I've heard this probably hundreds of times. People facing difficult situations. But I remember when it became personal for me. It was was the year 2000. Summer of, of 2000, we had just moved to Northern Virginia, and we got a phone call at our house on one Wednesday night. That was when you actually still had phones in your house, but our phone rang in our house. On the other end was my aunt, my Aunt Teresa, my mom's sister. She was in her mid-40s, roughly, mid-40s, and she called and she said, Sandy, Sandy, Sandra, she calls me Sandra, Sandra. Uh, I went to the doctor today and I found out I've been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And we've kind of set out a path for, for how they're going to treat me. They say right now that there's no cure. No cure. I mean, this, this, this is what could end my life. The, the, the plan is this. They just want to try and keep me alive for 10 years. And hopefully... Some point in those ten years, they'll may have made enough advances in their research that they'll be able to cure me, to give me a clean bill of health. But until that day comes, they're just going to try and suppress this cancer, keep it down as low as possible, and prolong my life. The goal is ten years, for as long as they can. 
Fast forward five years, it was the summer of 2005, and Mary Jo and I were getting ready to get married. And as is the case in, in most weddings, yours probably, if, you, if you're married this morning, people were coming from out of town, and my, my family was no different. They were coming from Virginia. They were there a few days, maybe a week before we got married. And I'll never forget that week. I had a chance to sit down with my aunt in one of the very, very few moments that I had available. It's one of those things where you're very, very busy. But I had a chance to sit down with my aunt one morning. And I was sitting on the couch in my parents' house. And I said, Aunt Teresa, uh, you know, the last five years you've been battling this cancer. But the thing that's amazing to me is you're, all, you're always upbeat about, me, about it. And she... Facing this cancer, it, 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 it had begun to take a toll on her. Uh, her health was declining pretty significantly. Uh, she was not comfortable. Um, she was in, in, in quite a bit of pain. Her health has really declined in those five years. I said, Aunt Teresa, how do you how do you stay positive? How do you keep a, a positive outlook? How do you? Not wake up in the morning and, and, and throw a pity party. And, and she lived a little ways from me. She lived in, in Texas. We lived in Virginia. We were actually about to move to Texas. But her t- kids who saw her every single morning attested to the exact same thing. She was not a complainer. And she looked at it from a positive perspective. And I said, Aunt Teresa, I mean, this, let, let's be honest. This is a serious thing. How do you have such a positive outlook on it? And what she told me, I quote, she said, Scott, I've come to the place, I've been able to come to the place where I view this cancer as being from God. I know that my Heavenly Father loves me. I know that my Heavenly Father loves my kids. And He only gives us Good gifts. And I've come to the place that I even see my cancer as a good gift from my good Heavenly Father. I can't say that I could could get to that point if I'm being honest with you this morning. I've never had to face it. I don't know that I could stand up here. I'd love to be able to stand up here and tell you, you know what? I can face the waiting room of my life, no matter what it is. Health, marriage, parenthood, lack of parenthood. Whatever my my waiting room in life is, I would love to be able to get up here and tell you that I would say the exact same thing as my aunt 10 years ago. But I don't know because I've never faced it. But here's what I do know. I've heard believers, people who claim Christ, who know Christ, time after time after time say, in some way, shape, or form, the exact same thing. Fast forward four more years to 2009. And that cancer, that non-Hodgkin's lymphoma took my aunt's life. At the young age of 53, 54, something like that. I don't remember exactly. She had battled it since her 40s. But I can tell you this morning, she never wavered from that. She always 
was able to have the perspective that the cancer was a good gift from a good heavenly father. You know, this is not unique to my aunt. It's not even unique to believers that I've talked to. This goes all the way back to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which is where we're going to be this morning, basically said the exact same thing. He was able to look at his waiting room, where he, where God was silent for much of the time, and then when he did get an answer, when he finally got an answer, after pouring his, house, his heart out and desperately asking God to answer, the answer was no. And he was able to see this gift, this thorn, whatever it was, as a good gift from a good Heavenly Father. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to pray before we jump into it that God would have grace on us this morning. That His grace and His mercy would pour out in this room. As we talk about this tough topic. Father, this morning I pray as we look at this topic. Lord, I know there's some people in here that are in the waiting room. And they've wondered, God, are you even at work? Do you even care anymore? I pray that as we look at your word, they would be able to say unequivocally yes. Even if the answer is no. Because you love us. And you proved it with the ultimate gift of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul, when he's introduced in the Bible, remember, he's opposed to Christianity. He, is, uh, he, he wants to see it eradicated. He wants it to be eliminated. And he's taking it into his own hands to make sure that elimination takes place. He's ready to kill them and kill them all who claim the name of Christ, who call themselves a follower of the way. On the road to Damascus, he has a, an, uh, an encounter with Christ that is, that is the ultimate transformation. Not, uh, not only does he meet Christ, but where he, before he wanted to kill all the Christians, now he wants to see every believer, I mean every person become a Christian. Claim the name of Christ. So I mean he, Paul, lives in the extremes. He wants to kill them all, then he wants everybody to be one after meeting Jesus. Alright? So that's what happens. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly, but it's somewhere along the way after meeting Christ, he gets this illness or, or this thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it is. We'll talk about that here in a few minutes. But it's somewhere along the way, Paul is inflicted with a thorn in the flesh. And here's what happens when he talks about that thorn. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says this, So, to keep me from becoming conceited, he's writing this to the Corinthians, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. That, that phrase, to keep me from becoming conceited, in your version, let me look it up, I... I uh, let me see if I can find it real fast. In your version, in another version, I like it actually better. It says this, uh, to keep me from exalting myself. To keep me from exalting myself. Paul says, to keep me from exalting myself, 
A Thor was given me in the flesh. That word Thor literally means an irritation, a constant irritation. Exactly like it would be if you got a Thor stuck in your, in your sock or in your pant leg. It's constantly irritating you. It's constantly bothering you. It's constantly badgering you. And that's exactly what Paul said. We don't know what that thorn was. People have speculated. Some people, some theologians believe that it was bouts with malaria. We know that he had bad eyesight. That might have been what Paul was referencing here. Uh, others, other um, theologians believe that he was battling depression. And if you look at Acts, he had many reasons to be depressed. We don't know exactly what the thorn was that Paul was dealing with. But here's what we do know. It bothered him constantly. It annoyed him all the time. It was a constant irritation. He goes on. A thorn was given me. That word given is an interesting word also. It is a positive word. It's the word that Paul would have used if he had received a gift from somebody for their for his birthday, or maybe a Christmas gift that, that he received. It was a positive word. It was a good gift. It was something that, that I was given that I was able to enjoy on some level. It was a good gift that was given to me. A positive word. So Paul says, a thorn, a constant irritation was given to me. It was a gift uh, given me in the flesh. This gift was given to me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan. We don't know exactly what that means. It may have been a figure of speech. Maybe Satan gave it to him. He was the actual giver of this gift. We don't know. But nonetheless, God still had a purpose, still had a plan. Even if Satan, even if God allowed Satan to give this, this thorn, whatever it was, to Paul. To harass me. And that word harass means to beat me up, to punch me in the face, to keep me from being conceited. So here's what the, here's what the verse means, if I could put it in, in Smith translation. Here's what it would say. To keep me from being conceited, God gave me the gift of a thorn to punch me in the face. That's a weird verse. It's, a, it, it's so weird that he would use a negative, positive, negative word. He gave me, God, God allowed or gave me something that irritated me all the way, all the time, constantly. But, but in God's grace, in his abundance of, of, of grace, I am able to see this as a good gift, even though it punches me in the face. Every single day. He's able to see it as a gift. Now the thing that I love about this text is in the very next verse, Paul does exactly what you and I would do if we were given a thorn. And many of us have. And you've responded the exact same way. Whatever your waiting room experience was, whatever situation you were in, and you said, God, where are you? Where are you at work? How are you at work? God, would you please heal me? Would you please Restore this relationship. Would you please allow me? The privilege of knowing that you're at work in my life. Paul does the exact same thing that you and I would do if we were faced with that circumstance. He says this in verse 8. 
three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. And that's exactly what you and I would do. And I know that's what my aunt did several different times. God, take this away from me. God, give me this. God, restore this. God, give me a job. Whatever situation you're in, whatever waiting room you're in, you would do the exact same thing that Paul did. And Paul didn't just tack this on the end of a, of a prayer at dinner. Theologians in the Greek, the theologians say this, that it was three extended seasons of life that Paul pled with God, begged God to come and to take away this thorn. And the first time Paul came and he pleaded with God to take away this thorn, guess what Paul heard? He heard crickets. God was not answering He was silent. And then at some point in the future, this this whatever Paul had must have flared up again. And Paul said, God, take this away from me. Take this away from me. And you know what Paul heard? He heard crickets again. God was silent. And Paul must must have asked, God, what are you up to in my life? I mean, this was such an irritation. This was such an irritation that Paul was was saying, God, I don't know if I can go on anymore. I mean, you have put me on this earth for a reason. You have put me on this earth for a purpose. And I'm not sure I can continue to go on unless you take this thorn away from me. I can't do what you have put me on this earth to do if you don't take this thorn away from my life, take it out of my life. And God was silent. And God was silent. And it flared up again a third time. And Paul came to the Lord and he begged God, God, please, please take this thorn away from me. And God finally answered. And look at what his answer was. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Well, wait a minute, God. In weakness? I mean, I mean I'm mean, i American. And, and God, we, we want to we avoid weakness at all costs. I, if, if there's an area of my life that I'm weak in, I want to avoid it at all costs. I don't want anybody to see it. I want to hide it. I want to put it in, in, in the back of my heart. I want to put it in the back of my mind. I don't want anybody to know about my weakness, God. I am an American. We don't do things that way. And God shouts from the halls of history, from the pages of his inspired word, and he says, that may be the way that you do it in your culture. But in my economy, that's where my power is seen. When your weakness is at its full capacity and the world sees it, that's when they also see my power. That's a radical message. It's a message that we want to avoid. Because weakness is something that we don't want anybody to see. And yet... The scriptures say it's at our weakest point. It's at it's when its weakest is at its fullness in our lives that the world goes, I see 
something special. I see something different. I see a power that is that that that's, that that I've never seen before resting on that person. That's when the world sees God's power in us and on us. In our weakness, my power is made perfect. And he goes on. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Paul says, God, the answer is no, huh? Yep, the answer is no. The thorn is going to remain. You can plead with me, you can beg me, it's not going to change. I am not removing this thorn from your flesh. And Paul says, okay, you're not going to take it away. I'm going to stop hiding it. I'm going to stop being embarrassed by it. Instead, I'm going to boast about it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to have conversations about it. I'm going to marinate in it. I am going to live in the weakness. I'm going I'm to get it all over me. And I'm going to talk about it with everybody that will talk about it. I'm not going to hide it anymore. I'm going to revel in my weakness. I'm going to revel in my thorn. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to marinate all up in it. So that the power of Christ can rest on me. I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to stop seeing this as anything except a gift, a good gift from a good and a loving God. Now I would remind you, I'm not teaching this as an authority on the issue. I've never been there before. But I do know this. The promise is for every person in here that knows Christ. No matter what you're walking in. And it's this. My grace is sufficient. Because of that, you can boast about your weakness. You can live in your weakness. You can talk about your weakness. You can share your weakness. And it's in that that the power of God will rest on you. He goes on in verse 10. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 9. For the sake of Christ, then. Uh, verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then. Easy for me. For the sake of Christ, then. I am content. I am content. I can look at my desperate situation and I can go, God, you're at work. I may not see it. I may feel like there's no way forward and there's no way out. I feel like I'm stuck in a waiting room, but I'm content. With weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This morning, I don't know what the waiting room of life is for you. For some of you, it is a desperate situation. You've been crying out to God to answer. And you would be even okay with a no right now. You could deal with that. But the silence... It's causing great frustration. And you are so 
tired of hiding the weakness. You are so tired of pushing it back, letting nobody see it. And the Bible says that it's in that weakness that his strength is seen. It's in that weakness that his power is made perfect. I don't know where you are this morning, but I pray this truth. I pray God's grace leaves you with hope. Let's pray. Father, I don't know where everybody is. I don't know what issues. I don't know what waiting room. I don't know what difficulties each and every person in this room are facing. But this is what I do know. Your grace is sufficient. And your power is seen at our weakest point. And therefore we can revel in it. We can live in it. We can boast about it. And so I pray that each and every person would know that the sufficiency of your grace this morning in the waiting rooms of their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.